0: the
1: corner of my eye I saw a pretty little thing approaching me she said I never seen a man who so alone could you use and we got hour two here on the wrSU crew NFL training camp is uh, just about in the preseason stage of course about three weeks or so weeks uh away from starting the season of course uh Chris you've had the opportunity to look at Zach Wilson and being a jets fan and the joint practices they've been having, uh, with the Packers and his, one of his big idols is, uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, too, as well. So Zach Wilson, of course, you know, he had about close to 70 yards in his preseason, uh, debut. Um, what have you really seen from Zach Wilson as a Jets fan and the Jets going forward? And of course, you know, that Carl Lawson injury is really bad news, um, for the Jets, um, of course, um, his Achilles injury is, I think, one of the biggest tests for Robert Sa for Salah um, as well. He's going to miss the year after rupturing that Achilles. They announced on Thursday. Um, really difficult uh, as well. So that, and of course, you have Zane Lewis also safety. Also suffered a season ending injury. Um, he tore his batilla tendon and sprained an MCL. So you have a lot of injuries with the Jets. Denzel Mims, of course, this hip injury. The receiver and Sheldon Rankins, defensive tackle, with his knees. So. Uh, a little bit of an injured riddle than not the way that they wanted to go for the head coach's first year so far.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to start with Carl Lawson because I think that's ultimately the you know most consequential recent development to come out of it because Carl Lawson, you know, they gave him a lot of money in the offseason as a free agent. He seemed to be really balling out in uh, training camp, um, and losing him for the season is a big blow, uh, not only because he's their best pass rusher, um, but because the Jets' defense is – in my opinion, the way it's currently constructed is a bit overly reliant on the pass rush because their secondary is so young. Uh, like we're going to probably be starting Bryce Hall and bless Austin uh, at cornerback uh, this year. So, you know, the Jets, I mean, and, and I'm not against those guys. I think they've got some promise. Um, I, th- I think they might be around in some capacity in the long run. But, um, you know, it, when your secondary is that inexperienced, you're going to have a rough time. It's really going to be Marcus May uh, holding it down uh there at the safety spot um, So you know losing Carl Lawson It's going to make it a lot harder for that secondary to uh, Really thrive and grow uh, Without that additional pressure Being dialed up uh, in terms of Zach Wilson you know I, I'm Hesitant to draw broad Conclusions off of One preseason game and a couple weeks of practices I, I maintain The same opinion I have of him uh, As when I was drafted you know, he's a guy That's mobile he's got a great arm um, can really throw it on the run really well, uh, I, I think has a lot of upside. And, uh, you know, I think the Jets have, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, brought in a lot of talent. You know, you talk about guys like Corey Davis at the wide receiver spot. Uh, offensive lines can have Mikai Beckton at left tackle, Elijah Vara Tucker at left guard. Um, so if uh, those two stay healthy, I think the left side of the line is going to be much, much better. Um, and, you know, I think that the Jets – are in a much better spot now than they were a year ago. And I think part of that is to Joe Douglas, part of that is to Robert Sala. Um, and, you know, I think the roster construction is in a better spot. But uh, that injury to uh, Carl Lawson is going to be huge, not in a good way.
2: Yeah, and Carl Lars- Lawson, I mean, that is such such a big loss for the Jets. I saw C- Steve Gelbs on Twitter the other day was saying how uh, Carl Lawson had been having arguably the most standout postseason, most standout training camp excuse me of any Jets player so far so he had been playing really well he was cementing himself of course a veteran as well I mean he would provide some much needed leadership on that Jets defense which has seemed to lack leadership and sort of drive these last couple of years but uh like you said, Chris, this team is in a so much better position than they were a year ago when they struggled so mightily. There's so many weapons on that team. I think adding Corey Davis is very underrated. Davis had played really well uh, in the past, and he's going to be a good complement. And Zach Wilson as well. I know there's a little bit of uncertainty with him. I mean, coming from BYU, but the trend we've seen over these past few years is that quarterbacks who have been a little bit underrated by the media coming from smaller schools have panned out in the NFL. Of course, Carson Wentz had a really good first couple of rookie years uh, before his injury uh, coming from North Dakota State. Then you got Josh Allen coming from Wyoming and being the standout of that draft. People like Zach Wilson and Trey Lance, also a North Dakota State graduate coming into the NFL are going to try to sort of Follow that trend. But I think the Jets are in a good position entering this season to definitely improve on what was an abysmal 2020 campaign.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'm not expecting them even before the injury. I wasn't expecting them to make the playoffs. I think if they win like five or six games and they look competitive and they look, you know, a lot more watchable. Uh, for the first year of the Robert Sala era, I think I'm okay with that. My expectations aren't that, that high in terms of wins and losses, but I want to see them, you know, show flashes. I want to see Zach Wilson have a couple of promising games. And, you know, when he goes through those uh, growing pains that he doesn't let it dwell in his mind and, uh, you know, has a, you know, sort of has a short memory when it comes to stuff like that. Um, So, you know, I just want to see them grow and, you know, be fun to watch a very young team, Uh, not in the easiest division. So, you know, I'm not too, too stressed about wins and losses. I'm more interested in, you know, what is the product that you're putting on the field?
2: Dan, you said it. Two of the key words with this team are youth and growth. This is a difficult division. We know how strong the Buffalo Bills are. The Miami Dolphins are only going to get better. Of course, bringing in Jalen Waddell in the draft, you've got Tua Tagovailoa in his second year at QB. And the New England Patriots, they made some strides. They made some good signings. Cam Newton, Mac Jones have both looked good at quarterback. Bill Belichick's going to have an interesting decision coming up. Uh, Jake, over to you, who are some players, some teams who have impressed you so far through this first week or so of the preseason?
1: Um, I, you know, being a Giants fan, it's been really, you know, I think the NFC East is up for grabs. Um, obviously I think that they're, that's going to be really interesting, um, as well, but the Lions are one team that kind of stands out to me. They played the bills close in that preseason. They lost by one, uh, 16 to 15. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, plays, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting plays they can do. Of course, Singletary had a good strike, uh, down the field as well. And I think that, uh. The Bills. I think that AFC East division is in more interesting with the Dolphins and with the uh, Bills. We can run through divisions too, which is interesting. And I think that you also, I mean, you know, the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are going to be a team that's going to that's going to surprise a lot of uh, people in the NFC West. I think they're going. to They made a lot of good moves. Um, of course, uh, Kyler Murray has been really coming into his own, and I think that. He really brings that uh, that versatility um, at that quarterback position with the feet, with the quick hands. Um, AJ Green is definitely going to help him out, and of course you have DeAndre Hopkins, and of course JJ Watt in the defensive front. Um, and I think that James a running back, somebody who a great player um, with Pittsburgh, um, out of uh, University of Pittsburgh as well. I think that, but really, I think the Cardinals are the team that's really going to see them come full circle and NFC West division of course was riddled with injuries. We saw what happened to the Seahawks. We saw what happened to the 49ers, with George Kittle and with Garoppolo and against the, at a MetLife stadium and, and the turf that they claimed that that kind of had an effect on them um, as well. And I think that, that, uh, you know, then of course, i um, Adams signing that big multi-year, uh, multi-million dollar deal with the Seattle Seahawks, of course, and part of that trade uh, that the jets made recently. I think that the NFC West is going to be one of those divisions that, uh, to really keep an eye out for um, as well, but I think the NFC North is definitely one where you could see some contention against the Packers, and, and you could see the Lions trying maybe could push for the wild card. And I think that that's really going to be an area that I'm going to look for experience in. Of course, you know Jared Goff and and what he brings um, to the table there. I think it's a good situation for him. I think the Lions have really developed some good. Um, Young players, their training camp has really looked um, decent as well. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown from USC is somebody who's really, uh, fourth round of the 2021 draft, I think that he's somebody who's really going to come alive for the Lions. I think that DeAndre Swift's going to be a good running back, um, and Tyra Williams, at receiver. I think that the Lions have a lot of good... young core group of guys and I think that they can really you know kind of take that next step and they have the right quarterback to do it Matt Stafford I could tell wasn't really connecting with a lot of the guys and it was kind of a difficult situation of course he had some good numbers there with the Lions but I think that they're one of the teams I'm looking out for I really want to see Justin Fields have success with the Bears I think that that's going to be an interesting uh scenario right there I think that the NFC North there's a lot of there's a lot of different factors that can happen to really contend with them and of course there's the rift with the Packers and now the kind of uh, holding down that fort with Rogers and him staying and he could leave very well leave after this postseason. You know, he hasn't only won one Super Bowl. He's only been to the Super Bowl once and he hasn't really um had that ability to you know, they've kind of they were bested in the NFC by the Tempe Buccaneers who are the team to beat in the NFC and that they're uh they're the really the team that everybody's been uh been looking at right now and I think that that's going to be kind of hard is seeing you know I guess throwing it over to you Chris like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of course we know that they're going to be again in contention for that top spot for the Super Bowl they were one of the best teams in the league you know of course they're the best no question winning that title and Brady and ageless uh, that he's been uh, performing as well but do you see a team that could contend with um, Tampa Bay and maybe dethrone them this year
0: um, you know, that's a really interesting question. I, I honestly think it's probably going to come down to the Buccaneers and the chiefs again. Yeah. Maybe that's like the lazy take, but look, on the one hand, you have a t- Tampa Bay team that, you know, say what you want about Tom Brady. Most of that team are, are guys in the prime of their career. And you got some younger stars like Vita Vea, especially on the defensive side, um, and Devin white. And, and, you know, I, I just think that when you return all 22 starters, uh, the year after winning the Super Bowl. And keep in mind, when they changed their offense to rely on the play action more, they were on an eight-game winning streak. They have not lost a game since. So you're talking about a team that finished the season ridiculously hot, is returning pretty much everybody, um, has a ton of talent, has a great head coach in Bruce Arians, a great defensive coordinator in Todd Bowles. You know, I, I'm I'm sorry. I just have a hard time betting against them. Now, are there teams in the NFC that I think could beat them on a given day? Sure. I think, you know, um, look at the AFC North, three of those teams, you can make the argument any one of them could really emerge and uh, give them a run for their money in the NFC. I'm sorry, the AFC. Um, And the AFC, I think, is really going to come down to the Chiefs because, you know, I mean, as long as Patrick Mahomes is their quarterback, I have a hard time, uh, you know, betting against them. And, you know, they still have so much talent on the field themselves. So, um, Really, I think it's going to come down to those two at the end of the day. I think that's our most likely matchup, and that's really saying something because we haven't had a Super Bowl rematch uh, back-to-back years since I don't even know when. Yeah. I don't think that's ever happened.
1: Yeah, it's been uh, some time, but I also think that the someone from the FC West could also contend, too.
2: I mean, the NFC West, the NFC West is such an interesting division because— There's four teams there that could be mediocre, but they could also be really good. The 49ers don't know really what's going to happen with their quarterback situation. They're getting a lot of players back from injury, but a lot of them suffered some pretty devastating season-ending injuries, especially on that defense last year, so we don't really know how good they're going to be this time around with the Rams. It's interesting. I think Matthew Stafford could be a great fit there instead of Jared Goff with a Sean McVay led offense. Honestly, I think that was a really good trade between the Lions and the Rams to kind of change the direction with their teams while both keeping competent quarterbacks, just swapping out different quarterbacks with different experience levels. But I think the Rams have the potential, but My concern for them is their running game, of course. uh, Cam Akers is already out for the season, so they're really going to have to put things together. Matthew Stafford has never really relied on a running game, but then again, he's never really had much success in Detroit when he hasn't had many running backs to refer to, so that's a little bit of a dangerous situation there. The Seahawks didn't make too many changes on their roster. They made a few, like Jake was talking about, so I think there's the potential there, depending on how Russell Wilson plays, but... Their offense needs to score, and Russell Wilson needs to hang on to the ball. And for Arizona, Kyler Murray needs to stay healthy. He was a little banged up towards the second half of last season. But, of course, the addition of J.J. Watt on the defense, not just for his performance, but for his leadership off the field, I think that is going to have an immense impact on that team. So I think all four teams in the NFC West are interesting. But, personally, I still have to side with Chris here that the Bucs are easily the team to beat. And I still think the only other team that could give them a run for their money is if the Green Bay Packers pull off something special. I don't know. I'm not saying they will because I still think that the tension with Aaron Rodgers and ownership And some players siding with Rodgers, some players siding with the ownership kind of put some rifts in that locker room and might make it difficult to start the season getting everybody back on the same page and focused on winning games in front of that crowd at Lambeau Field. But I think there's still the potential if they can put things together. Aaron Rodgers is a bit of an ageless wonder himself. And we saw what he did last year winning that MVP and carrying the Packers all the way to the NFC Championship. I know once they get to the NFC Championship typically is when the Packers completely fall apart. But I think it's still fair to say that if things come together correctly, they could give Tampa Bay a run for their money.
1: I could see that too. I think that's going to be an interesting uh an interesting take uh as well. Now, now going over the AFC, I think the AFC is really um an interesting league conference too. You got a lot of interesting teams. Of course, you know, the Ravens too are trying to make that push, try to de- I think the Browns are going to come away with that AFC North uh title of course. You got a healthy um Odell Beckham Jr. of course. You hope that David Njoku, uh, the tight end, can actually kind of do something um, when he's like kind of healthy and he has a contract that's due up uh, later as well. But um, it's this is an interesting interesting because you have a lot of young teams in the AFC too and I think that you look at teams like the Browns and you know of course you know Baker Mayfield getting uh, Baker Mayfield and what he's been able to do there um, and I think that um, he's been having there's been a lot of critics of Baker Mayfield um, too he always plays with an edge and I think that um, and he's and he's always been very uh, quick about that because they picked up his option in the spring so there isn't really a true urgency to get him extended immediately but he'll really be able to This might be a good year to, for him to show them, you know, he brought them to the playoffs. He can bring them back. And of course they have, um, you know, they play the giants this weekend, which will be interesting. Of course it'll be Odell Beckham against them. Uh, of course, but they're, uh, they, they've are they got an interesting schedule with the Browns. Of course, they have their first game, regular season games, at Kansas City in September. Then they've got the Texans. They have the Bears, of course, but then you have the Chargers, the Cardinals, the Steelers, and all in within that four-game week. They they, they have a winnable schedule, but they have some tough teams in there. Like, the Packers could be interesting. I think that first Chiefs game is really going to be setting the tone for teams like Cleveland Browns, who are going to really try and come out with a vengeance, of course, over you know the team that won the Super Bowl and a team that's a very good... Uh, team um in that right as well i think that the browns have a good roster i think that with baker and, and odell beckham and of course uh jeremiah owusu uh karamoa who is the college football guy they got from notre dame they drafted um in the second round he's gonna be he's an explosive linebacker was defensive player of the year and an, a unanimous all-american at notre dame he's somebody that really they really needed that outside linebacker help and they got him they also have davy on Clowney, miles garrett they Really, they've really bolstered their defensive core, and I think their defense is a little bit is a lot better now than it was last year. And they had a decent defense last year too.
2: I agree on that. I I think it's. I just wonder. You mentioned them. I believe they play Kansas City. I believe they play the Buccaneers at some point too. So I might be wrong. Yeah, they do. They the, do.
1: Yeah, they have a very interesting. The Browns don't play the Buccaneers though. The Browns play the NFC North.
2: Oh, okay. This year,
1: but the Chiefs I think do play the Buccaneers. Um, at some point, I think that they, uh, I don't know if they have a rematch of that. I, they might not. Um, but, um, you know, I think that we could see a rematch of that Super Bowl, too. But I think that, um, you know, because they remember they played each other in last November, and Kansas City won by three, and then the Buccaneers won, of course, thirty-one nine in the in the Super Bowl. So, you know, that really, of course, you know, Tom Brady in this postseason, he's always comes up big, aside from the Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think that it's going to be interesting seeing who can contend with Kansas City. I don't know if if uh, Cleveland or even Buffalo are kind of there yet, but. Teams like Tennessee look really good, of course, with Derrick Henry and Julio Jones and Julio Jones coming to Nashville. And I think he also fits that scheme where you kind of have that perfect scheme because Tannehill wasn't really thriving in Miami. He was really struggling and you bring him to like a new area. And everybody thought that was like a blip uh, move. Like uh, it kind of like flipped the switch getting him to Tennessee. A lot of people thought that it was going to make Tennessee even worse. like they were before when they had all those uh, journeyman quarterbacks like Brian Hoyer and all those random guys that would come in and start at quarterback for them. But I think that the Tennessee is a team that could be that second, third seed in the AFC, and I think that watching them uh, – progress in this year I think it's going to be big because they're always you know really close uh, to the um, AFC but they're not like those Jaguars teams that went to the conference championship ultimately losing to New England um, they're not like that at all um, so I think that Tennessee is here to stay too and I think that they're going to be an interesting team to look out for
2: well yeah and that Jags team was a bit of an upset that yeah year. I mean Blake Bortles was their quarterback and offense with Tannehill, Derek Henry, AJ Brown, and Julio Jones is just bound to be good. I mean, that is that is a lockdown crew. That's one of the best offenses you could possibly think of. But uh, like you were talking about, you never know. Like the Kansas City Chiefs when exactly. they matched when they matched up with the Bucs in the off in the regular season, for example. Remember when Tyreek Hill had almost 200 yards in the first quarter? Yeah. And Tom Brady just couldn't complete a pass? And then Completely opposite, complete 180. When they faced off in the Super Bowl, you never know. But something else I wanted to talk about in the NFL, uh, of course. Now there's the 17 game schedule, and that's right. Personally, I feel a little weird about it because there's going to be some teams that get nine home games, some only get eight, and with the fans, ex- with the stadiums expected to be packed at full capacity again, like home field advantage is going to become a factor again. So, Chris, right. do you think that down the line? a team having nine home games versus eight could end up helping them get a playoff spot over a team that has fewer home games.
0: I mean, it might a little bit, Um, you know, I don't think that, you know, I I don't know. I I just don't think that in the NFL home field advantage means as much as it does in, you know, some other sports. Um, I'm, I'm I'm kind of not sure how I feel about this 17 game format. One, it's going to make the w- records weird because you're going to have an 11 and 16 team or a right. 10 and 17, and it's just going to bother me. I know it shouldn't matter, but it does. It, it really does. <laughs> um, so so that's the first thing um, as I sit here waiting to watch the four and 13 Jets. Um, you know, I, I think that you know it's it's tough. I'm not sure how it's going to affect it to be honest. Um, you know, I think that. One mistake they made was, um, you know, with the 17th game being a crossover, AFC, NFC, I think they could have tried to get more cross-divisional rivalries in. Yeah. For instance, if you're going to have an extra, you know, if an AFC East team is going to have an extra uh, game against an NFC team, why aren't the Jets playing the Giants in a game that actually matters every year instead of, you know, like a World Cup once every four years? Like, you know, I I think that would be really cool. It would actually get somewhat of a rivalry going between those teams. You know, it's just, I never understood it.
1: And of course, you know, you can say the same thing for like, you know, the Chargers and the Rams too, playing at SoFi Stadium in the same stadium. It's, it, you kind of want to, I think that makes a lot of sense because, you know, in the NBA, of course, that always works out in the NHL and, and the MLB, you know, the Yankees and Mets, they always play each other. The Orioles and the Nationals always play each other. And I, um, I would want to see that when the NFL, and I think that there's definitely, you know, room to do that now with that 17 game schedule, of course, with, you know, 18 weeks including the buys, so it, it's gonna be really weird because it's it's not an even number it's not gonna be eight and eight or nine and seven it's gonna be like nine and eight and ten and seven which is really weird um, and something that is interesting um, interesting move by Goodell and what the commissioner's done um, and and it's, they've been talking about that for a couple of years now and uh and of course that's gonna be interesting including also you know the NFL Euro in London uh, game uh, as well but um, I I, th- I don't know how I feel about it either I think that it could it could Obviously, offer some home field advantage, just like it is for um, like in hot in postseason, like for hockey, for example, it's it's everything. Home field advantage is everything, but it doesn't really necessarily mean much just because they have a longer season, um, in terms of that. But for football, I could see that you know having an effect. Of course, home field advantage postseason is huge, um, you know when you can get it, um, when you get that that record and you get you're on a wild card team and you're able to get home field, that's so uh, and win the division. That's always a big thing. Um, but I think that it could, in in some instances, if it's if it's like Pittsburgh and Cleveland, or Pittsburgh is playing Baltimore and they're fighting for that like first wild card spot or second wild card spot, and one of them is home. Of course, absolutely, that's going to be an advantage right there. If it's one of those kind of caliber games where it's you know win and you get in, or, or you're playing a division rival or something, and I think that that could really be something that we could see maybe down the line. And I would hope so. I mean, Jets Giants like week seven, week eighteen would be great. I mean, that would be. That would end of December, that would be perfect. Just to, you know, kind of that would be great. Just to have those kind of teams play or like Baltimore, Washington. I th- I think that would be a really interesting way for the NFL to go. Um, but I I don't I don't know how I feel about it. It's gonna take a lot of a, a little bit of an adjustment just because I'm, you know, you're so used to seeing the perfect eight and eight split, the eight home games, the eight road games. Um, but you know, it's gonna be really weird that some teams are gonna have nine home games, some are gonna have um, eight as well, so it's it's going to be a really interesting transition to see that as an NFL fan.
2: Yeah, and I think it's I think that's a good idea though. With for example the rivalry matchups between the AFC and the NFC, take advantage of that. You mentioned the major league baseball, mirror something like that. There are matchups in baseball that you won't see, that you see once every three years between the AL and the NL. Yet you have the Subway Series. You have the Dodgers and Angels, Orioles, Nationals, Cubs, White Sox. Those happen every year, and the MLB finds a way to get that on the schedule. And those games tend to get a lot of intrigue, and I think football could do that. The Giants and Jets could develop quite the rivalry. The Rams and the Chargers have a good rivalry. And if they end up playing in Week 18 games for playoff positioning, I think that would be a fantastic way for the NFL to make use of that 17th game
1: yeah I think that that's really that's an interesting uh point um as well And we got rapid fire here, a little bit longer rapid fire on the crew. And Chris just mentioned this earlier, um, but the University of Hawaii is not allowing uh, spectators in football um, for games. Chris, uh, do you have any more information on that? Chris, are you there? Oh well, he might be uh, away, but um, Eddie, I'm looking at it now, and and it's looking like that they're going to be really, uh, they're not going to be allowed to have fans. They're one thing: they're Division One, and they're with cases rising. They're going to open football and volleyball season without fans. They're um, they will not be allowed to start the season. And the decision also applies to both indoor sports um, as well and outdoor um, as well. So it said that the city and county of Honolulu officials have notified school leadership that, um, citing a surge in coronavirus case counts and the strain COVID nineteen is putting on local hospitals, to be the second straight year they're playing at home without fan support at least to start the year. Um, as well I and mean, school officials have also uh operated a ticket refund policy um too so what do you really make of this that we you know we kind of this is i think one of the first known schools to really kind of just put a limit capacity and not restrict fans at all
2: it's disappointing and we've seen for example with the las las vegas raiders they limited it to vaccinated patrons only uh i was thinking maybe hawaii would do something like that i'm curious uh, what their actual, like, education policy is, if they're just completely online with their classes potentially or if they're just being really stringent with COVID. Something else I've noticed, uh, I've been watching the Little League World Series a little bit, the Hawaii team is actually the only one that most of the players are wearing masks on the field on while the they're field. playing. field? Yes. Wow. First baseman and third baseman, Both had masks on. I believe the catcher did under his catcher's mask as well. That's, of course, not mandated by Little League standards, but they're doing that. So I think that's sort of a thing with Hawaii. They're trying to be really careful with COVID, um, especially since they're an isolated area with the islands. And if somebody comes there, a COVID outbreak can spread very quickly in Hawaii since it's pretty densely populated, especially in Maui and Honolulu. So uh, I understand them uh, trying to ride on the air of caution. But it's you'd think maybe they'd consider eliminating it to vaccinated fans, just like we saw with the Las Vegas Raiders, which could pan out for them. I guess they kind of didn't want any drama with that and just simply decided to not have any fans but it's got to be disappointing for those Hawaii football players that had to spend all of last year like everybody else without fans thought this fall they were finally going to be playing in front of that home crowd uh in the in front of the Rainbow Warriors faithful and they're not getting it so it's got to be disappointing and it'll be interesting to see now if any other teams end up following suit here as we enter the college football season in just two weeks
0: yeah I, think it's I find that completely crazy I'm I'm sorry I find that completely crazy yeah let's Let's think about this for a second. Hawaii, hang on, let me get the numbers up here. Hang on. Um, Hawaii right now has what percentage of their population vaccinated? I'm trying to get the numbers up here 73%. 73% of Hawaii has been vaccinated. So take that. You're outdoors, it's an outdoor venue you could if you wanted to require vaccinations or even mandate masks if you really want to take it to the next level. why have no fans at all? It just doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Like it, it I'm all for being safe, I'm all for protecting people. Like last year when we had no fans, I thought it was the right call, but this just doesn't make any sense. I'm I'm sorry. I'm just I can't believe they actually did that.
1: Yeah, that's that's really, uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, that's really, uh, you know, it's kind of baffling that they, that they kind of have that, um, as well. I mean, you know, Hawaii, I know they were doing a good job about it before, um, as well, but it, it's kind of interesting that you, you have Hawaii, um, kind of airing on the side of like just caution. I think, you know, they do have a lot of, they've had really good success with getting, uh, vaccines, Um, And being able to have people um, to be protected against COVID-19. So that's definitely a good area um, right there. Um, Yeah, yeah, I'm looking right now on a Mayo Clinic website, at least one dose. 99.9% of people aged 65 and up have had one dose in Hawaii, and 80.3% for 18 to 64. So it's very good uh, numbers compared to... you know, to like in Alabama, who has you know like like forty five percent for eighteen to sixty four. So it's they are in a very good uh, situation, and it, it and they've been taming the virus too. So it's interesting that they're um, that they're doing that uh, as well. There's also some other. Um, other sports news too uh this is we can talk a little bit longer about this one cuz this is this is very interesting the NBA released its schedule for this upcoming season uh, of course February 10th is going to be Milwaukee and Phoenix playing uh, with each other since their finals um as well um Toronto Raptors are tentatively set to return home for their first home game in Canada in October the 20th and then on November 10th it's Detroit Pistons the number 1 pick Cade Cunningham play Jalen Green in Houston um that will be very interesting and Green uh Came out of his way to diss the Motor City recently at some commotion while maintaining that he should have been the first pick. So that'll be um, interesting. Uh, Nick's Nets is set for November 30th, and then uh, the um, and the Nets will play the Lakers on Christmas, um, which is going to be very interesting. That they're going to be doing that, and I've heard some rumors that the uh, there's going to be um, some New Jerseys, so the Nets might go back to some of the New Jersey uniforms uh, for that game as well. Uh, uh, so um, that'll be or Nets, um, so that'll be interesting. Um, As well, the opening week, it'll be October 19th is Nets at Bucks, um, and then Nets at Sixers on the 22nd, um, which is going to be really interesting to see that. And of course, Warriors-Lakers, they usually play each other around them, but it's the Nets at Lakers on Christmas Day. The Hawks are back in a Christmas Day um, fashion. It's Atlanta's first Christmas Day appearance since 1989. Um, they're going to be at the Garden for the Knicks, and then the Celtics are playing the Bucs. The Warriors-Suns could be interesting, and Mavs-Jazz. Mavericks are basically always play um, as well. So that's the uh, that's the Nets' like big uh, big season uh, right there, and the Christmas Day is gonna be interesting and and that's there's uh some good games right there. It'll be Nets Lakers. is probably the marquee matchup there to see if it's Rant Harden and Westbrook um going at it. Those former three team uh, the teammates, of course Rand and Harden versus Russell uh LeBron and Carmelo Anthony. So there's there's a lot of interesting games on the NBA slate.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's. I'm really excited for opening night because the Nets and Bucks, of course, it'll be the first time they've played since that crazy game seven where yeah. Kevin Durant's shoe ended up uh, helping the Bucks make it to the NBA Finals and eventually win. And then Lakers, Warriors. A lot of people think Golden State is going to be back on the rise entering right. the season. Younger with team. Younger yeah. team. Clay Thompson hopefully back on the court. Of course, Steph Curry, uh, even though he's getting older, he's still making threes, making plays. Had a near MVP per- performance last season. Uh, Draymond Green, James Wiseman. They've got a pretty talented roster, uh, and they could potentially make another splash with a trade maybe before the season begins. but. I think those two matchups could be fun. Something that I think is really interesting is taking a look at the Christmas schedule and the opening week together, because yeah. there is one key team that you do not see on there, and that's the Los Angeles Clippers. Right. With Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. I know they've had some disappointments, but this team did just make it to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in franchise history, and they're not making it onto Christmas Day. I don't know who they'd necessarily replace. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks and the Utah Jazz, of course, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, both uh, are pretty high attractions, and a lot of people would want to see that. Knicks and Hawks, I think, is a pretty good game because, of course, there was a lot of bad blood with Trey Young at the Garden in that first-round series, but... Seeing the Clippers kind of falling out of favor, the NBA was so excited two years ago when the Lakers and Clippers had both suddenly become super teams, it seemed, at the same time, but the Clippers seemed to be falling out of favor on the national stage as other Western Conference teams are on the rise like the Suns and Jazz, who don't have a ton of superstars but have a lot of great young talent, and of course the Golden State Warriors coming back from all their injuries. Just a bit of a surprise to not see the Clippers in the schedule for opening night or a Christmas
1: game.
0: Shmeet, are we going to that Knicks Nets game on November 30th?
1: I would love to, but that's my mom's 50th birthday. So that's, we're like oh. doing like a big thing in the city. Like I would gotcha. love to go, gotcha. but it's gotcha. I didn't realize it was that day.
0: I don't know. I think a Knicks Nets game would be a pretty big thing for her birthday. No. Well, maybe I
1: can swing out of the New York City thing. I can just take a train, the one train over to Brooklyn.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Happy 50th birthday to Mrs. S. Um, Well, that, that that caught me off guard. I, I thought we were going to set up an easy uh, WRSU outing, but look at Shmeet always being busy.
1: <laughs> but Chris, what are some of the other you know potential like the Nets like Bucks? I think too. Like you know, kind of forecasting a little bit for that game, the Nets Bucks. Um, you think that that's going to be kind of like a, a grinded out kind of game that the Nets are really going to try and solidify their place in the uh, in the NBA? Is that like is that like a big statement game they can start off with the season?
0: Yeah. I think if I'm being completely honest, I just don't get too excited about regular season NBA at the end of the day, like the playoffs are what really matters. It's just, it's just so hard to get excited, but yeah, I would say Nets Bucks would probably be up there. I think whenever the Nets play the Sixers, that's going to be a big event. Uh, Nets Knicks is always special just cause it's, you know, it feels like it's a budding rivalry and now both teams are good. Um, so that adds another level of a dimension to it. So yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, how that works out um, as well. Also, big news of course, the Big Ten, Pac 12, and ACC are expected to announce an alliance in, uh, could be early in the early next 10, seven to 10 days um, as well. There's issues surrounding the government's remain at the forefront of conversations because it comes as after Texas and Oklahoma are going to be joining uh, the SEC in a three and three years. Um, as well, the trio is reportedly hopeful of aligning to delay the expansion of the college football playoff format. That's one of the things that the CFB subgroup consisting of Big 12 Commissioner Bob Palsby and SEC Commissioner George Sankey, among others, um, and, and Mountain West Commissioner Craig Thompson are submitted a proposal to expand it a 12-team model in June. Um. So athletic directors are probably concerned after that subgroup to not approach representatives from their three leagues about potential um, expansion um, as well. So what do you guys make of this? Because this has been in the works for a little bit now, and it looks like it's going to reach fruition.
2: Well, I think we're really heading towards a lot of chaos here in these next couple of years with the move of Texas and Oklahoma, which really honestly came out of nowhere that they were moving to the SEC and – The Big 12 now losing their two anchor teams is really going to split that conference apart. Unfortunate for them and for some of the teams that might not be able to get out of there. It kind of reminds me of the Big East's fall on the football stage about eight to ten years ago where Rutgers was fortunate enough to find an opportunity to play in the Big Ten. But there were some other pretty established, successful schools like Cincinnati who could absolutely compete in a Power Five conference that just weren't able to get out of the Big East and end up being absorbed into the American Athletic Conference. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Big 12 teams. But these three conferences coming together, it's not just – I don't think it's just about – delaying the uh, expansion of the college football playoffs. I think that's one of the goals, but I think they're also a little bit concerned about the SEC with their expansion, and I think the Big Ten and the ACC are especially trying to get the Pac-12 under wraps because there were some reports. Uh, there was no nothing really about the validity or the truth necessarily about these, but there were rumors swirling that the SEC's next move was to try to get some teams from the Pac-12 to try to become the first ever really – Full-on national conference, not just regional, full-on national. If they tried to get someone like USC or UCLA, I didn't necessarily see that happening. But if the SEC did that, it would really harm some of the other conferences like the Big Ten and the ACC. And for an expanded college football playoff season uh, system, you'd end up with the same issue that many of the critics have now. That there's just not many opportunities for smaller schools to get in. Because if the SEC became just full of powerhouse programs, sure, you expand it to maybe 10, 12 teams in the playoff, but like eight of them then are SEC teams. So I think there's a lot of drama that's still going to unfold here. It's an interesting move for the Big Ten to try to partner with the ACC and the Pac-12 because they're going to end up being three of the four power conferences standing. But I'm really interested to see what's going to happen. But Chris, I kind of want to take it to you um, because the Big Ten, we saw the SEC now make this move bringing in Texas and Oklahoma. Do you see the Big Ten down the line, or the ACC for that matter, trying to grab some other Power 5 schools to try to keep pace with the SEC?
0: I think it really depends on what this uh, alliance that we're hearing about ends up being. Uh, If it's just like a scheduling thing, I think in the long run, um, we're going to see some sort of expansion, uh, probably for the Big Ten. I don't know so much about the ACC, but I think the Big Ten, the Pac-12, would be most likely whether it be like some sort of a merger or both conferences taking on a couple teams um i I think there's a couple different ways they could go um but i want to sort of hold off and see what this alliance ends up being because if it's something more like that if it's like i don't even know maybe like some sort of revenue sharing agreement don't even ask me you know how the details of that would work because um frankly i'm not smart enough to get into the business side of it but um, you know, I'm kind of interested to see what ends up there. I think that could really be a turning point in where this all goes.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be really, um, interesting, um, as well. In other college football news, Texas A&M is on probation for recruitment violations and head coach Buzz Williams has been suspended for two regular season, uh, games as well. So it's really, uh, interesting right now, the, uh, was the university, after he, the University and the Division of Committee on uh, in, Infractions, agreed that they violated uh, multiple recruiting rules um, under his leadership, um, where he observed a prospect participating this is for, in an open gym during an unofficial visit and later conducted two 45-minute tryouts with a prospect during which he provided coaching instruction. Um, they're saying as well, the uh, Texas A&M it will be on a uh, on probation for two years and face several short-term restrictions on recruiting, including lesser uh, the official visits, um, as well. So, Texas AM in, in trouble a little bit, and we've seen this happen, um, uh, over the course, um, past couple of years, uh, so far with teams, um, in recruiting, um, as well. Um, so this is interesting for their men's basketball program, um, that their coach will serve a two game suspension, also with a fine and lose recruiting days. And we've seen this, um, happen, of course, with Nebraska with recruiting, um, as well, um, which has really been interesting. Um, to see with Nebraska and the football and some of the things that they had, like some off uh, that's been investigated as possible violations that came out a couple of days ago with uh, Scott Frost. With their, um, the, they had improperly used analysts and consultants and had moved workouts off campus last year and had not required people to COVID test as well. So this comes about a couple days after that too. So it's interesting about some of these football teams that are now facing the repercussions uh, of uh, their own doing.
2: Yeah, and the Nebraska situation is... Pretty massive. And the fact that uh, there were rumors that Scott Frost had been holding practices that were unregulated, kind of unknown and kind of in hidden areas when the COVID pandemic was not on of campus type. either. Not in yeah.
1: any, just like in open fields, they would say, too.
2: Yeah, it's just com- just completely going against a lot of rules. And you really wonder if this is the only team that's done this. And we've seen kind of where you go through trends in college sports where you see several teams handed sanctions at one time. We see two teams now for different reasons, Nebraska and Texas A&M, one with football, one with men's basketball. You wonder what else might be coming, and you wonder what other teams potentially violated COVID protocols in preparation for the 2020 fall season, especially for football. It's going to be interesting to see what else comes out of this, but... The Nebraska one and that Texas A&M one with Buzz Williams getting suspended for the first couple games of the season. And more importantly, Texas A&M now on probation for two years and having limits on recruiting. Uh, It it can really uh, turn the tide for these programs. And Texas A&M, who have had a rising men's basketball program with the SEC kind of changing with how terrible Kentucky was last season. and. Kind of the high ranking SEC basketball teams sort of changing uh, the reins over these past couple of years. Uh, disappointing for Texas AM, but uh, both of these definitely justified penalties.
0: I just love that Scott Frost went through all that trouble and broke all those rules just to go four and eight. I just love And that.
1: narrowly beat Rutgers.
0: I mean, if we had a bye week, they probably would have lost that game too.
1: That's true. It's, it's quickly run out of
0: gas. Yeah, nine straight weeks of football, and you know they were pretty beat up. So that's like one of the only downside of um, Rutgers getting all their games in is that they never had like a break per se. So that kind of killed them.
1: No, the opponents they faced either had a,
0: they like they were all exactly, yeah, exactly.
2: Rutgers was, I think, one of one of the only teams. Uh, in FBS or FCS to complete their entire schedule. And there were so many teams that had pauses, had games canceled, and it sort of helped them. Also, Rutgers uh, had some games that went deep. They were playing in crunch time, of course, that overtime game against Michigan. So uh, they they were definitely beaten up and tired out. And I think if they had gotten the same rest as some of these other teams, they definitely could have contended potentially in that end-of-the-season game against Nebraska and maybe in some others as well.
1: Yeah, I definitely could see that um, as well. Another big thing uh, in New York news is that Rangers goaltender Henrik Lundqvist announced his retirement today. He's been was uh, after spending 15 years with the Rangers. Uh, he was forced to sit out this past season when he had signed a one year deal with the Capitals after un- undergoing surgery to repair a heart condition. He's 39 years old and was did not receive medical clearance to play. But he um, he was told the inflammation would take a long time to correct. His medication and he said he he might not be out of the woods yet, but It would be another year until he'd be 100%, and he didn't want to risk it. The uh, Swedish goaltender, of course, is, you know, he's... Had more he's accumulated the records of broken Mike Richter's record, the Rangers uh, star uh, franchise goalie before him. He's going to have his jersey up in the rafters along with Richter and uh, Leach and, and Messier up there as well um, this upcoming um, year. Five time NHL All Star, five time nominee for the Vesno. He won it once. He got a gold medal at the Olympics with Sweden in 06 and a silver in 2014. He never won a cup, but he led the Rangers to that run. They lost the Kings in 2014, just two years. Uh, before the Devils, um, two years after the Devils had lost to the Kings in the uh, finals as well. He's the sixth winningest goalie in NHL history with amassing 459 wins, uh, all with the Rangers. So, you know, Chris, we're Devils fans, but it's it's the King, you know, in New York, he's, uh, he's getting the uh, recognition and the, uh, and the ceremony that he will deserve at the Garden this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like I remember, I have so many good memories of those Devils Rangers games and, you know, Henrik Lundqvist was a big part of those Ranger teams. So, um, you know, seeing him retire, he had a heck of a career, um, you know, wish him the best. And you know, he's someone that, you know, fans of of hockey in this area, whether they be Ranger fans or not Ranger fans. Um, I think uh, Henrik Lundqvist is going to be one of those big names that people are always going to talk about when it comes to the Rangers.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely uh, something um, right there. The um, Also, the NCAA is moving toward immediate expansion of signing class limit. They're nearing an expansion of the 25-person signing limit as a way for football players to replace players they've lost, to the football coaches replace players they've lost, to the transfer portal. The NCAA... Uh, Football Oversight Committee is working on a proposal that would change the signing limit uh, this cycle as a one-year waiver until permanent policy is put in place. Under the reported proposal, schools would be able to sign 25 players to the recruiting class and get an additional roster spot for players who transfer out. So schools were reportedly not getting sponsored for players dismissed from the team, pushed out by coaches, or who entered the NFL draft. So they have a limit of 85 scholarship players for a football team. So this could be interesting. Coaches have been advocating for roster relief after that extra year, that blanket waiver of the NCAA of due to the COVID-19 pandemic and and with the rise of uh, attrition associated with the transfer portal, it's going to be interesting now. So uh, kind of interesting now they could add some of these, you know, new guys to the roster and they could, you know, you see a little bit of basketball with the early in-release, like Oscar Pomquist with Rutgers and Jaden Jones, who who, uh, went up in his uh, decision to play out of Dallas and played a little bit of um, some minutes this past season.
2: Yeah, you know, like, it's it's unique just these past couple of years because we've seen it and I've even I've even seen it, for example, uh, of course, like covering high school uh, as a high schooler um, with so many schools where you've seen athletes that are trying to make the move or also those like Governor Murphy in New Jersey created that exemption where you could sort of redshirt. A high school year and then still play yeah. another year past your graduation in terms of eligibility, which was an interesting move, but uh, t- turning it back towards the college discussion, like we've seen how many athletes have been entering the transfer portal. Of course, Rutgers got a couple for themselves, but we also saw Miles Johnson, for example, leaving the team on a transfer. So, uh, And of course, with football, there's so many players that want to be able to participate this year. You've got such a flood of rosters, probably tons of walk-ons at Rutgers and on so many other programs as well. People who were disappointed that in 2020, maybe only had six games, maybe had even less because of injury or uh, quarantine or whatever. So many people want that opportunity to step onto the field. So providing some roster relief, I think, could be really essential to coaches across Across multiple sports in the NCAA this fall.
1: Chris, what do you think about that? Because that's really interesting because with football, of course, we know that Rutgers has gotten a couple transfers from Mayan Ahanatu from Central from Florida and then um, a lot of guys like that, like, for example, like Michael Dwumfor who was now, you know, in training camp with the in the NFL right now um, with the Jets. So there's um, and then Brendan White who was just cut by the Jets like a while back. Um, so, there's like a lot of guys who have been able to do that and some roster spots that have freed up too. But there's also, you know, they could, there is like an influx of rosters too.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, we're seeing so much roster turnover nowadays. Uh, and with the transfer portal, that's only going to continue. Um, so, for coaches, it's going to become not just, you know, recruiting high school players and convincing them to come to your program, but also convincing the players you already have to stay. Um, I think that's going to be a delicate balancing act. I don't think we've really fully seen um, the full impact of what that's going to do to the landscape, but, you know, it could help teams rebuild a lot quicker for sure.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's uh, one of the ways to, uh, Really summing up um, as well in the NFL just an hour ago, Larry Fitzgerald um, said that he doesn't have the urge to play right now. He was asked about his playing future, um, and he currently had no desire to play. He said, "To be honest with you, I just don't have the urge to play right now." He said, according to Ian Rothport of NFL Network, uh, "I don't know how I'll feel in September, October, of ever moving forward, but I just today, I just don't have the urge, and I think I have to be respectful of that." Um, that's what he said so far. The f- his future has been one of the biggest mysteries this offseason. Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury um, said he left the ball in Fitzgerald's court when the team arrived for training camp, noting that the club had plans uh, for his return or his retirement. Um, as well, of course, um, they bolstered the position this offseason with AJ Green at the wide receiver. They also got drafted uh, Rondell Moore um, in the second round um, as well. Um, so out of Purdue so it's an interesting situation with uh, Fitzgerald whose production took a hit during last year's campaign with a smaller role he has 54 receptions 409 yards and one touchdown all season were all career lows
2: yeah it's and I mean Larry Fitzgerald is a -a once-in-a-generation player and he's been so loyal to Arizona and it's nice that they gave him the opportunity to kind of choose for himself and They do have a backup plan. It's not like this Cardinals team is suddenly going to be derailed because he's not out there. He's an important leader. But, for example, drafting Rondale Moore, who is one of the most unique talents coming out of the draft, uh, and adding A.J. Green, who hopefully in a new environment can finally stay healthy, but they also have a running game. They also have a great quarterback in Kyler Murray who can adapt to whoever he's thrown the ball to. So uh, I don't really think it's really going to affect them too much. We'd love to see Larry Fitzgerald back out on the field as he continues to rise the all-time ranks amongst the best wide receivers in NFL history. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to... Even if he plays at all, it's going to be in a very limited role, and I don't think we'd see him out there all 16 games. Maybe he'd come back towards the end of the season for a postseason push. He's the kind of guy that I could sort of see do something like Marshawn Lynch did, remember, uh, when he went back to the Seattle Seahawks and played a little bit in some clutch games at the end of the season years after his final time there. If he has the motivation to get back on the football field, of course, I could never see him playing somewhere other than in Arizona. I could see him trying something like that and maybe coming back and being a little bit of an asset for this team towards the end of the year. We talked about earlier how competitive that NFC West is. If the Cardinals are contending week 16, week 17 for the division title, I could see someone like Larry Fitz coming back in even if he hasn't played much during the season and trying to help the Cardinals move to the playoffs.
1: It's an interesting situation too with Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, he's somebody who's really given a lot to the community, and he's been really charitable and very uh, generous mm-hmm. to to that community. So it's it it really would be weird not to even see him being affiliated with them. But maybe he takes on like a leadership role um, in another reason as well. Um, we talked about you know front office GMs and a little bit in the NBA, but in the MLB right now, the Red Sox uh, GM Brian O'Halloran says it's on the front office if the team misses uh, the postseason. He's prepared for the front office to take the blame if his team misses the postseason. Um, right now, but he says he doesn't think that'll happen. They entered the trade deadline in first place in the AL East, but they've fallen since they've since fallen six and a half games back of the Rays for the top position. They have an eleven a six and eleven record in August. They've been really quiet relatively quiet at the quiet at the deadline. They've acquired Kyle Schwimmer and, of course, former Met Hansel Ropolis relievers and Austin Davis on july thirtieth, but They haven't really excelled uh, as well. There's some of their stiffest competitions for a playoff spot have really got some bigger upgrades. Of course, the Rays, the Yankees, the A's, and even the Blue Jays um, as well. So where do you really see the Red Sox going right now in the MLB?
2: Well, first of all, I I think they're coming back to earth and where they were sort of expected to be this season. I personally didn't see them entering the season being top of the AL East, being better than the Tampa Bay Rays being better than the Yankees. I think they've sort of settled into where they should be. It's a disappointing fall and you might've, and I I sort of thought they would have done a little more at the trade deadline, especially since they do have a lot of young talent on that roster. Of course, they got a lot when they made that Mookie Betts trade, they got a lot of young prospects in that deal and they do have a pretty strong farm system. It was a little bit of a surprise that they didn't make a move, especially seeing Tampa Bay bring in Nelson Cruz, the Yankees of course bring in the Italian bats of Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo. But I, I, don't, I don't know exactly who you pin this on. I mean, the offense has been struggling. Their rotation, which had surprisingly performed well through the first three months of the year, despite being considered one of the lower-ranked uh, rotations across the American League, uh, they, they've started to falter now. I think they're sort of settling into what this team truly is. I don't really know if you blame it necessarily on the uh, front office, but I will say, and Chris, I think you could agree with me here, they could have certainly done more at the deadline, and by not doing that, it has allowed both the Yankees and the Rays to assert their dominance.
1: Chris, what do you think about the, uh, the Red Sox? Chris, are you there? Might have uh, lost Chris um, as well, but um, right now the uh, Eagles, they ruled out second-year quarterback Jalen Hurts' minutes prior to their preseason loss Thursday due to an illness, uh, so that's really, uh, they had that stomach bug that he had to go to, and they said he's fine now, but he had, his, uh, had to stay home for at least two days, according to Adam Schefter, and the Eagles were booed on their way to the locker, but the half lost 35 nothing to the Patriots in their second preseason appearance of the year, so... The NFC East is such a horrible division, and I think that just shows it right there how weak this division is. But, yeah, but how weak the Eagles are, more importantly.
2: I'm an Eagles fan, and I'll admit it. The Eagles are an- another brand of horrible beyond the other three teams in the NFC East. I mean, and Jalen Hurts with this, that now they've got Joe Flacco. And it's been said uh, throughout the, the training camp that this is an open quarterback competition, and... I don't really think Joe Flacco's taking the spot from Jalen Hurts. I mean, he was a mess last night. Uh, Devontae Smith had one nice catch. That was like one of the only bright spots for this team. They also had injuries. Their safety, Wallace, was hurt. Uh, And we know how the Eagles' secondary has just been depleted week in and week out uh, for these past couple of years. There's still a lot of work for this team. Uh, I don't really know if they merited being booed so badly to the locker room at halftime in a preseason game, but... If they're performing like that in the regular season, you can expect even more booze to chorus out of Lincoln financial field.
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting situation that the that the Eagles uh are in too. Um I think the Eagles are gonna be, you know, one of those teams that are gonna be um how should I put this, like taking obviously taking a big step back. They're not like a top contender um of anything as well. But I think what you really look at is with the Patriots right now is that Cam Newton was um was kind of Coming into his own, he passed for 103 yards in that postseason game and a touchdown. And then Mac Jones threw for 146 yards um, out of Bama, and uh, Newton kind of has this grasp on the starting spot. And he he took most of the first team uh, snaps. Of course, he was the MVP in 2015, and of course, when he brought Carolina to the Super Bowl, they lost to uh, you know they lost uh, in that one to the Broncos. Um, but he was um, he was eight of nine. His only completion was a dropped pass, and he was signed to replace Brady, and and he's kind of coming into his own a little bit. So the Patriots are kind of in a weird situation right now, where he he kind of fits that scheme. It's obviously a completely different new playbook, completely different new schemes. Since since with Tom Brady and his deep ball and his his really good um, asset as a pass uh, first pass to pass pass first QB. Um, so what do you really make of the Patriots right now, and where are they headed in that AFC East?
2: Well, they're in a good situation. It's better to have uh, two viable options than no quarterback options. We didn't know what to expect with either Mac Jones or Cam Newton, but through two preseason games, they've both excelled. I think Mac Jones is exceeding a lot of expectations. He's, yeah, he is. I mean, he's he's completing passes. He's consistent. A lot of people thought he would have been spooked by the NFL defenses. I mean, he had so much time in the pocket in Alabama. Their offensive line, which is dominate any defense defensive line in the SEC, but uh, despite all that, he's he's doing well. He's taking on these challenges head-on, and as for Cam Newton, he's doing everything you'd expect him to do that you expected last year and that he couldn't do last season. Right. So uh, I think the Patriots are in a good position to compete for a 500 record, maybe, maybe squeeze into that seven seed in the playoffs, but nothing more than that. But I think, I mean, Bill Belichick has some options, and it's going to be interesting to see what he does for this third preseason game in terms of playing time for both Jones and Newton.
1: Well, one of the things about Alabama quarterbacks too, they don't really succeed a little bit we've seen, you know, prior to Tua to Tagovailoa, like it was really kind of hard to see a lot of Alabama quarterbacks um succeed um, you know, in the um in the NFL. Some of them had a difficulty uh kind of um coming back coming into their own um as well. Um, you know there's a lot of NFL you know players you know like A.J. McCarron for example like he he kind of struggled uh Greg McElroy um those are guys right off the bat that struggled um that were drafted by the professionals that didn't really play you know McCarron for the Bengals probably back up Dalton Greg McElroy uh with the jets so it's it's something that you kind of um you kind of expect with the recent day uh Bama uh quarterbacks but you're kind of getting you know two his starting with Miami he kind of learned from Fitzpatrick and I think that that's something a trend that I think you'll you'll see with Bama quarterbacks having I think a better time adjusting the NFL.
2: Yeah, I think I think they've kind of reshaped their identity a little bit and they've got some opportunities. Uh, also Jalen Hurts, I know he started with Oklahoma, but I mean, I actually started with Alabama, then went to Oklahoma, but he was in the Bama breed, and uh, he's another one as well who we don't really know, but he did get some snaps in the NFL and played decent, so there are some options, and I think Alabama's turning the tide a little bit.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because Bama's one of those teams, you know, Derrick Henry, the Heisman winner, was from Alabama, too, and and they're known for bringing, you know, those big teams and um And very bolstering that offense and you and you look at, you know, Nick Saban, one of those coaches who just excels at recruiting. He's an excellent recruiter like Urban Meyer. And I think the Jaguars are going to be an interesting experiment this year. Um, I think that that's going to kind of be seeing, you know, kind of like how John Calipari was at the Knicks and the Nets and and was in the NBA. So that's going to be interesting, uh, too, to see um, how that all.